can't believe I threw up in front of Ronananian. Face it, kid. You threw up on Ronananian. The alternator had a problem. The vehicle owner had a, was confused. He said, gee, it's new. How could new be bad? And I know everyone of my loyal listeners out there is going, new means never, ever work. Well, what's my Delta Tau Kai name? Dorfman the car doctor you know there's one thing i'm pretty sure if you give me a car that's broken and it's got a failure in it we'll figure it out may i have ten thousand marbles please welcome to the radio home of ron and anian the car doctor since 1991 this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair if your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... Oh, boy, is this great! Here's Ronnie. Out with it! <laughs> hey, it's time to start your engines. And uh, we kick things off with a bang here. Uh, this week, this hour, as always, and uh, a tribute to the late great Kent Dorfman. We uh, um, we uh, we mourn your passing, sir. Um, just uh, lots of good laughs, lots of good times. A classic, a true classic. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at your service today at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The same phone number we've had for the past umpteen years, and uh, that phone number, as you well may know, is twenty four seven. You can call eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero anytime, day or night, twenty four seven service. And leave a message, and we will call you back and get you in the lineup for the next live show. We are live out on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And we look forward to talking to each and every one of you. And we appreciate the fact that you're taking time to spend it with us because we know that you've got a lot of choices and a lot of things to do in all our busy lives. And, um, you know, it's it's just nice that you're here with us. And we, we thank you for that. We thank you. I thank you for the fact that you've been here with me um, for the past 26-plus years as we've uh, motored on down the road and done this radio show for such a long time. And um, we're just glad, I'm just glad to be here and be here with you. So uh, suffice it to say. More information about this show, cardoctorshow.com. Also over at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, all the places to get podcasts and click subscribe. And you're doing that, and we appreciate it. We see the change in our numbers, and uh, we notice that um, you know it's, it's working. So uh, you're giving us uh, ammunition to go back to the sponsors. And obviously, at the end of the day, the part of this is a business, even though um, i got to tell you, it is kind of neat. You get to be up here and uh, do radio every day, um, every weekend. And, um, you know, just, just a great thing to be able to do. Automobiles are always changing. And it wouldn't be fitting, and we've gone way too long uh, without speaking to our, our, our next conversationalist, our, our, our next caller, our interviewee, um, Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau. Paul has uh, been away from us for far too long, and um, it's time to bring him back. And we're doing that right now as we kick off this hour of the car doctor. Mr. Eisenstein, how are you today, sir? Good. Good to be with you. Yes. It has been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. We've just, you know, the time just flies by, and we lose track of it. And we go, holy cow, it's the end of the model year. And, um, you know, we think we're car guys, so we think in terms of the model year. For us, the year's over. The 17s are going away, and the 18s are coming out. Um, and we said, well, you know, we want to find out what's current, what's 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 going away that we may not like, what what some comments about what's coming up, and we thought we'd come to the definitive source, that being you and um, the Detroit Bureau. So uh, what else is going on? What's new? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, you know, I've, I've got to tell you something funny. You know, you're talking about all the years you've been around. I've been covering the business since 1979, believe it or not. And uh, I just stopped for lunch. I'm out at my cottage, which is out near uh, Pinckney, if anybody knows where that is, north of Ann Arbor, Michigan. 
uh, a little lakefront uh, place, and just stopped in a local restaurant for uh, for lunch. And I was looking at a couple kids who uh, finished up, got in their car, drove away, and I realized, my gosh, they were born in the new millennium. Right. Uh, and even even weirder, we talk about Gen X, then we've talked about millennials, but it means that the next generation, uh, what is that, Gen Z, is already driving. You know, it's uh, it's quite fascinating how quickly the generations go and also trying to figure out what each of those generations is going to want from cars and what they're going to experience well, in can, the not-too-distant future. I can tell you the impact that I think they are having on cars, the Ys and the Xs and the Zs to come, is you can see it in the taste, you know, for older cars. Kids look at certain year cars, um, you know, 39 Packards, it's, eh, it's an old car. You know, we see it for what it is and that piece of history, but the kids today don't see that. They're, you know, gee, I want a tuner Honda or a tuner Subaru. And um, it, it's going to turn the economics of, of car collecting, I think, upside down as the generations, you know, fade away and the new generations come in. That will be interesting to watch if I'm here. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting thing. There's starting to be evidence that earlier reports of the gloom and doom of the auto industry may fade away. Maybe. Uh, we're starting to see that as they get older, uh, millennials, Gen Y, are actually buying cars. Now, of course, they're switching. They're not going for sedans and coupes like we did. They're going over to uh, SUVs and smaller ones at that or crossover utility vehicles. And that's the big change. Here's the real question. As, as the millennials get older and as this whole new generation, Gen Z and the next one, will they buy cars? Uh, and will there be cars to buy? Uh, there's growing, growing sense that what we're going to be seeing going out to 2030 and beyond will be electrified, autonomous, or even more self-driving, as in driverless cars, that will be operated by ride-sharing services. And we wrote a story on thedetroitbureau.com a couple of weeks ago about one study. I think it's a way big exaggeration, but it shows you where people are thinking. It suggested that by 2030, something north of 90% of the miles that Americans clock on roads here in the United States will be in electrified vehicles that have no driver at all, not just somebody sitting behind the wheel waiting to take control, completely driverless, and which are operated by ride-sharing services like Maven or Lyft or Uber or some of the others. It's staggering. Uh, you saw the article a couple of weeks back, Carl Icahn bought up, you know, he, he's got the parts side, and now he's trying to buy repair facilities so he can control the, and I, I should, I, it's really what he's doing. He's going to end up controlling the marketplace because he's banking on people not owning cars either. And that it's going to be all fleets and it's going to be regulated repairs and consistent repairs. And, you know, I, I and now this conversation, 90 percent on on Uber and self-driving vehicles. Um, I don't know that you'll be able to afford to drive a car because you'll be the oddball trying to support something that's going to get to be very, very expensive again. Well, that's true. And by the way, there's another study that was done by an outfit called the Boston Consulting Group. They are moderates. They only predicted 30% of the miles hmm. will be in those driverless, electrified, self uh, ride-sharing vehicles, which is still pretty significant. Uh, 
We definitely are seeing a lot of changes. Now, one of the interesting things, you just mentioned repairs, and one of the things we're also seeing is an incredible improvement in quality. And we're going to see that not just in initial quality out the door, but in the long-term reliability. Uh, An electric vehicles, when you have a single electric drive, uh, except for perhaps the batteries going bad, uh, and they're, they're getting better, uh, the amount of repairs you need, the amount of service you need is, shri- is going to shrink sharply. Uh, you know, they're starting to see batteries that are doing pretty darn well after 100, even 150,000 miles. And uh, as they get better, uh, these vehicles, their batteries are going to last a full lifetime and in some cases have life after the vehicle goes to the graveyard. They're now looking for ways to use batteries after the car itself is scrapped. Well, and I, uh, could, I, I could see that. I, I could see because what what I've noticed of cars in just repairing them at my level in the last three years, the the last, was 17, 16, 15s, even the 14s, the more I look at them, they look like there's as much thought into how they're made as to how to take them apart and scrap them safely and environmentally safe. Uh, you you know you you just hit on something very very interesting. I don't know if you happened to see this week we had the release of the annual JD Power Initial Quality Survey or IQS, and they talked to eighty thousand owners uh, of products from about uh, was it about thirty five or so brands, and there were some big surprises. Uh, for the second year in a row, believe it or not, Kia. The brand that we used to euphemistically describe as cheap and cheerful, which usually meant pretty junky, that was the number one brand for two years running. Wow. Um, yeah. The Koreans, all three, if you include the new Genesis brand, all three of the, of the Korean brands were in the top ten. I believe you that. Guess where, you want to guess where Toyota and Lexus, two brands that were number one between them, half of the years, the 31 years that the IQS has been done. Were they even uh, in the Toyota top Toyota and Lexus were, were together amounted for half of the years being number one. Do you want to know where they were this year? Bottom 10? No, not bottom 10. Uh, Toyota was just immediately above industry average, and Lexus was the first brand below industry average. Wow. Yeah. Now, even even more interesting, uh, the top 10 was loaded with primarily mainstream brands, Ford and uh, and Volkswagen and Kia and Hyundai. Uh, and mainstream brands are getting better and better. But you said something a minute ago about manufacturers designing vehicles to make sure, you know, that they go together right. And uh, when I talk with Dave Sargent, who is the head of automotive at J.D. Power, that's a key point. You you nailed it. Manufacturers these days are really spending a lot of time thinking about how do we make the customer happy? How do we build this vehicle so it comes out of the factory right? And not all the problems that are reported are mechanical. In fact, uh, the, the, the number of Busted, uh, uh, busted engines and transmissions and wind noise problems and the like, mechanical problems, are very small. It's, it's mostly, oh. these days, it's, it's things like weird problems, glitches with your infotainment system or what have you. Oh, yeah, or something. Uh, those are design issues. Something on, the, uh, something on the data bus. Hey, Paul, sit tight. Let me pull over and take this pause. Uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to, let me, let me pull over and do this. And uh, we'll come right back. I'm Ronan Anning, The Car Doctor, with Paul Eisenstein, the DetroitBureau.com. We'll both be back talking about cars right after this. Don't go away. Hey, 
Welcome back. Ron and Andy in the car locker rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. We're talking with Paul Eisenstein, the Detroit Bureau.com. So hold your calls right now. Mr. Eisenstein, you're still there, sir. I still am. I would, I would expect you to be. No other place. So, um, <laughs> uh, By the way, how's the pussycat? Uh, he is cuddling up to me right now. Yeah. Uh, learning new, he keeps learning new tricks. So. Now, is is he? Or a, maybe maybe I'm learning new tricks. He finds ways to get more treats out of me. That's that's what it comes down. Well, to. and you know, cats are really. I've decided cats really think they own humans. Uh, it's not. It's not the way. What we do you think. mean, think? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it's the truth. It really is. They, they they know what's going on. They're no. They're not. They're not crazy. Um, so pick up where you left off. We were having a conversation there when we, when we went off to the break. We were talking about uh, about quality and how how things have changed. So the number one problem that uh, that uh, owners of vehicles run into these days, according to JD Power, in the initial quality study, and that's just the first ninety days of ownership. It's not not a year or two or three out. Uh, the, the biggest problem is all that infotainment technology, uh, audio communications. Uh, uh, infotainment, uh, navigation, that, that sort of stuff. But here's the interesting thing. Manufacturers are generally starting to fix that. You know what's becoming a major problem? And this is very worrisome because it gets back to the first thing we talked about today. So you want to guess what, what are the, some of the biggest problems that are rising faster in your vehicle? Um, I've got to think it's, well, it's, it's, it's obviously in the electronics, and I've got to think, yep. I've got to think it's, it's in some of the simpler stuff. I see an awful lot of problems with security systems, you know, anti-theft and, and things like that. But then also I'm seeing more and more with, you know, rear seat DVD players and... You know. yeah, well, that's the, that's the ACEN or infotainment technology that's been the big problem. Right. The, where, it's, where it is growing fastest, and this is worrisome, is in all that semi-autonomous technology that we're starting to see in cars. Blind spot intervention, lane ah, departure yeah. warning, lane keep assist, forward collision warning with auto braking, uh, cross traffic alert and the like. like. And these are the pieces of the puzzle that will all need to come together for the autonomous and driverless vehicles that we talked about at the beginning, those those cars that you know, in, in many cases, will be operated by ride-sharing services like Uber or uh, Waymo, you know, the spinoff from Google and all those other companies. And if if they don't start fixing these problems, I've got to tell you, uh, a they won't be able to make this stuff go on the road. They won't be able to pull it off. Or if they do, they're going to have more trouble. Uh, when it works, it's great, and it's pretty amazing. I had the chance to drive in two autonomous vehicles in in uh, Japan when I was over there just a few weeks ago with Honda at their proving grounds. Uh, I was on their high speed oval, and uh, on their on that uh, two and a half mile oval circuit. Uh, not only did we get to go pretty fast, but they also set up a couple of uh, situations that would resemble what you'd run into on a freeway, including uh, heavy traffic, cars stopping, things like that. And the car did very, very well. Uh, the other vehicle, which was even more advanced, simulated what you would experience, actually did experience what you would find on real roads because we drove around the proving grounds uh, hands-free. And, and this vehicle took the next step. It could see where lines should be on roads that had no say center line or or a line marking the edge of the road and the and the ground around it so the technology is coming uh, it's a question of whether it'll work right 
And you know, I was just thinking to myself, as you were saying that, then those cars can be sold in West Virginia, because I remember we talked in a previous uh, conversation, um, West Virginia was a problem because there's no white lines on the majority of roads in that state for whatever reason. And, you know, they've, they've solved that problem, or they're about to solve that problem. Um, you know, I, well, they're, they're, going to, they're trying. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying. Um, but it ultimately comes back to, you know, and they say electric cars. Before we go into the break, Paul, set us up for the, for the break. Um, your thoughts on, they say with electric vehicles, self-driving vehicles, rather, I'm sorry, self-driving vehicles, there'll be no more traffic jams. There, there should be fewer. Uh, you know, when you when you look at what happens on the road, a lot of the jam ups that we see are people that, at the last minute, decide they have to go from the fast lane and get off at that exit immediately. And of course, that causes a rebound effect where you get miles of traffic backed up because somebody did something stupid. People don't merge very well. And you really have to put distance between two cars. You'll be able to have a concept called platooning, uh, where all these cars with autonomous technology and vehicle-to-vehicle communications will be able to talk to one another. So when the car at the front of a line, which may be a mile down the road, has to brake for some reason, every car following it will know. And that will allow vehicles, in some cases, to platoon or follow one another mere inches off of each other's bumpers. Wow. If all this can happen, if right. this can happen, right. if. you'll smooth every – well, you know, I've been in cars that have been able to do this. So we know the technology is possible. Right. If it happens, you'll be able to put a lot more cars on already crowded roads, and they'll be able to merge and exit and do all sorts of things much more logically than people do. And that will take a lot of the troubles that we experience, the, the unexpected slowdown where you're doing 80, suddenly you're in stop-and-go traffic, and a half mile later, you're doing 80 again. Wow. Well, hey, listen, uh, Paul, as always, a great conversation. Stay right where you are. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're talking with Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com. When we come back, we're going to get some in-depth looks at Paul Eisenstein's recent road tests in the self-driving vehicles and beyond. So I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. Don't go away. We're back right after this. The Car Doctor rolling along. We're talking with Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, uh, you know, electric cars you've ridden in. Um, I want to get this in this I segment. A lot of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, lately. Well, not electric. I keep thinking electric. You know, see, it shows you where my mind is, right? Autonomous, self-driving cars. Well, what are you saying? Okay. Okay. Now, let, let's deal. Actually, let's touch on both of them. Uh, I actually have an electrified car outside. It's the new Kia Optima plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, uh, and I have driven in a number of autonomous prototypes. There are none on the road yet. There's right. nothing uh, that is actually licensed to be sold to the public. Uh, there are many, I should say there aren't many, uh, there aren't any on the road that are retail, but there are hundreds and soon to be thousands on the road being tested on public roads. And I'd be curious, uh, you know, as, as you go through the show later, you might want to ask the folks who are listening. I'd be very curious to know, do they like the idea of having these autonomous vehicles tested publicly? How do they feel? Oh, I, can, I, can, uh, I can answer that question idea. now um, because we've, we've gotten feedback as we've talked about it over the years. Uh, I would say 80% of the people listening that, that we talk to don't like the idea. 
do not like mm. the idea. They, they, they publicly reject it. Uh, very few people, and it doesn't seem to be an age thing. Uh, it, to me, it's a human thing. It's a control issue. It's I want my hands on yeah. the wheel. I want to be the one driving. But very few people, and we've found even less people to accept these, uh, we, we're not going to really get into it, but, you know, self-flying airplanes. That's a whole nother conversation. Well, uh, I hate to yeah. tell you, uh, <laughs> most airplanes right now fly pretty much everything but the takeoff and landing. Yeah. It's almost all automatic. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's a, all right, so I'm going to try to avoid politics totally, Yep. but I will tell you that if folks out there are concerned about the idea of having these autonomous and even fully driverless vehicles tested on the road, uh, they may be surprised to know that the current administration uh, and Congress, the Republican Congress, are working right now on new regulations, a whole list of bills that if they are signed into law, which may happen any time in the coming weeks, uh, they're basically going to take away the right of your state to regulate autonomous vehicles. In other words, if you live in uh, New Jersey or uh, Minnesota or uh, Oklahoma, uh, and your regulators have said, no, we're not comfortable with having these vehicles driving, well, very soon, uh, if, this, if this bill that the GOP and the White House support uh, your government, your state government, will have no choice but to allow it to happen. They may have the ability to set certain, uh, some minor things like the cost of insurance, but that would be it. Uh, in fact, and here's where I, there's even more people that are concerned, uh, because the bill might even strip the ability of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to require some of these prototype vehicles that are going to be allowed under the bill to have to meet federal safety standards, or at least some federal safety standards. So Basically, it's a push to just say to the industry, go ahead, start testing as right. anywhere as frequently as you want and with whatever you want. And the problem I have with a lot of this, I haven't heard anyone discuss the impact of self-driving cars on the economy of auto repair and, and, and how it's going to affect, you know, whether it's a dealer or an independent or or, or parts house, or, you know, all of a sudden, you're going to have less repair facilities, you're going to have less places, you're going to have less need, obviously, but you're going to have a, an awful lot of people on the unemployment line as a result, and nobody's talking about that. Yeah, well, let's put it this way, with, with autonomous, or let's go the next step, with driverless cars, and you know there's a big push to go to driverless trucks, as well, delivery vehicles, you know, shuttles that go from one uh, one uh, pickup center, you know, an Amazon facility to another, for example. Uh, the the pushes to go to fully driverless there. Uh, Auto, a subsidiary of Uber, is now working on full semi trucks that would cross the country without a driver. Now, when you think about it, Ron, you're talking about how many million people in the United States earn their living driving anything from the local FedEx truck to the cab or the Uber, the manned Uber right now, to the cross-country heavy-duty semi-trucks. So that's one area where we may see millions of jobs eliminated. Uh, Now, there is a flip to this all because when when we started talking, uh, you may recall I mentioned that we may see a situation where anywhere from 30 to 90 percent or more of the miles that Americans clock on the road could be inside of vehicles they don't own that are run by ride-sharing services like Uber with no driver on board and using electrified powertrains. Uh, 
I've asked the auto industry about this. I've asked a lot of executives, and there's a lot of debate over what that will mean for car production. Some people think we'll see a huge decline in car production, more jobs lost. Other people say, well, wait a second, we're going to have these vehicles on the road 24-7 since, uh, you know, most people now, when they buy a car, they leave them in the driveway or at work uh, over 80% of the day. So these vehicles are going to be running constantly. And that could mean that they're going to be clocking amazing amounts of miles. They could clock more in a year than you or I put on a car in the in maybe 10 or 12 years. And what will that mean for repairs? What will that mean for trade-ins? Because will, will the car companies that are operating these services, will they be letting the cars last 200,000 miles? Uh, and even if they do, does that mean that once a year, every car operated by these ride-sharing services will have to be replaced? And maybe The bottom it's... line is this a big question mark about all this stuff. And, and maybe it's more cost-effective at that point, because you, you think about it in a self-driving vehicle, it's all electric. What, what's going to go bad? Tires, electric motors, uh, you know, whatever creature, cabin, comfort features you've got. But the, the car becomes very disposable very easily or very recyclable. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to mm-hmm. be modular replacement. And then, you know, we've already seen it here. Here in North Jersey, there isn't an engine rebuilder, a machine shop in the county of Bergen. Gone. Really? Don't, don't exist anymore. Just don't exist. There aren't. There isn't a one. And, you know, I'm multiplying that out in my head as, you know, affluency spreads, but the product keeps getting better and it's newer cars and it's less older cars. And, Paul, if you ask me right now, Ron, I've got to get a valve job done on my old 72 Monte Carlo. You need to send the heads out. I've got no place to send them. It's and, you know, how many of those? And I know some of the people that worked at the machine shops. They're out of business now. They're older. They're retired. Play that out. How many hundreds of times? across the country and think about the effect on the economy as as more people are put out of work by all this. And it's really going to have to have, there's going to have to be a trade-off somewhere. I think we're going to have to self-driving cars. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do with all these people that are going to be standing around, but as you say, it's going to put millions of people out of work. Well, we're facing this issue across the board. It's something that I think a lot of people don't really think about, Ron. Uh, You're talking about Amazon, which takes away a lot of jobs at at the local retailer. And now they're buying Whole Foods. And, well, uh, between them and some other folks that are looking to deliver uh, food to your home, uh, we may see fewer uh, – we could see fewer grocery stores and certainly fewer people employed in grocery stores. Factories are going more and more automated. Uh, the president has been demanding that the auto industry bring back uh, jobs, particularly in the parts business, and the reality is that some of those factories that are looking that that may come back here. Uh, I know somebody who runs uh, Lear. You, you're probably familiar with them, the biggest one of the biggest seating manufacturers in the world. Sure. And we're we're a plant that built say seat frames uh, that was sent to Mexico a decade or so ago because of labor costs. Uh, that plant before it moved down there might have employed a thousand people. If that, if that facility comes back to the United States to make it cost-effective, he's going to have to cut his employment to 80. Wow. So when you add it all up, uh, it's just like the argument, hey, folks, you want those cheaper uh, EverReady batteries? Fine. You go to uh, Walmart or wherever, and they uh, have the power to send those over to China for manufacturing. And as you know, we're about to see Ford send uh, a key model, the Focus, 
to China to cut costs because of uh, uh, the competition and lower demand. Uh, So every time you want to cut a cost, you want to cut your costs on groceries or clothing, you go to Amazon or uh, any of the, the new grocery services online. Well, you have to ask yourself, I just saved a buck and a half on a week's groceries. But did you also cut the job of your next door neighbor? Right. And and how is that going to play out? And, and technology marches forward. Paul, we're about out of time. If the listeners want to get more information, uh, give them the website once again, please, sir. Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, they can head over to the Detroit Bureau dot com. And we didn't get to talk about it, but they're welcome to check out. We have a new review of the uh, the Civic Type R, that great new Honda. Uh, and I just got back. You ready for this? I yeah. just had a chance to drive the new Alfa Romeo Stelvio. Oh, so we have a live, we have a live review. You know what? Stay on the phone. Talk to Tom. Maybe we'll get you back in two or three weeks. We can kind of cover that. How's that sound? I'd enjoy that. Oh, be good to be with you again. Very good, sir. We would appreciate that. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, and we are back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900-247. Number thanks again, once again, to Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com. We'll have some comments about that towards the end of the show. Let's real quick, let's go over and talk to Ed in Fairlawn, New Jersey's 2006 Scion and some questions. Problems with air conditioning. Ed, is air conditioning important this time of year? I can't imagine. <laughs> it really is. Ron, i got to apologize to you. The last time I called, I called about a noisy timing chain. Right. I lied to you. I said that I took the belt off and ran it. I didn't. I didn't do it till the next morning after I talked to you. Turns out to be that the generator pivot bolt was loose. Yeah, I ended okay. up that went away. Cool. Good. Now I have no air conditioning. The blowers work, uh, but the clutch doesn't pull in, and I'm not sure whether it has a condenser fan or it just uses the engine fan. Well, you know, let's 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 go to the end to figure out the, to figure out the chase. When when I've got a compressor clutch that doesn't engage on this particular model and Toyota like a lot of vehicles, you know, there's a series of switches and there's a pile of controls. Let's just go right to the connector leading up to the compressor clutch itself. You're you're either going to have a blue black or a black white wire that is ground and then you're going to have a hot feed on the other side or you're going to have one singular wire feeding the clutch circuit and the compressor clutch grounds internally okay so my first comment is do i have hot at the compressor clutch if i've got hot and i've got a ground or if i've got hot and nothing on the other side then i'm going to tell you ohm out the compressor clutch the compressor clutch should ohm between Typically, these are about 9.5 to 12 ohms, and I think you're going to find that it's open. It would not be unusual for one of these to have a bad compressor clutch, and at which point it's 10 going on 11 years old, you're going to start thinking about, do you put a compressor in it? It's more cost-effective at that point. If it has, if it does not have power leading up to the compressor, okay, then we've got to start to talk about some of the switches, and you know, there's a couple of things it can be. But before I take you down that path, I'll give you the easy thing to try first. Let's, because I'm betting this is going to be power to the compressor itself. Okay. That'll that'll have power, and it won't it won't have um it'll have power. It'll have ground. It just it'll be a bad clutch. Clutches were not uncommon, and obviously, look at the face of the compressor. Is the clutch does the clutch show signs of overheating or burning or scoring? Uh, usually, they start to blister the paint off the clutch plate itself. Um, if the clutch plate, if the clutch as the clutch goes bad, as it clutch wears out. Okay. Okay, that's one place to look. I see uh, AC amp amplifier on the wiring diagram with an output to the 
to the magnetic clutch. Uh, well, that's one of the you know they they vary clutch on time. It's 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 got something to do with fuel economy and emissions, and they vary clutch on time. They're trying to control it more precisely than just on off on off for various reasons. But before we go there, if you've got power leading to the clutch and you've got a ground, I don't care about the rest of the circuit. Yeah. All right. It's it's, it's got to be open. It's got to be the right. Clutch. It's it, the clutch has to be open at that point. Um, if you don't have power, then we're going down the rabbit hole like Alice did, and we're going to find out where the um, you know where the where the problem is. But I'm betting you've got power there and you've got a clutch problem. That would not be uncommon at all. Do that. Test it. And uh, give me a call back next week if you want to find out during the week. I realize it's going to be a hot week in New Jersey. Um, you can email me, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Always good to talk to you, Ed. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. The phone number, by the way, for those of you during the week, 855-560-9900. Or next hour, there's another hour of Car Doctor coming up. Um, I want to thank Paul Eisenstein, DetroitBureau.com. I know Paul's always on the road, no pun intended, and um, we, we appreciate him taking the time and spending some time with us uh, this hour. He was very generous today, as he always is, and uh, 45 minutes of time with Paul Eisenstein is um, like an audience with God when it comes to automotive journalism. Mr. Ray has a comment, sir? Well, it was interesting when you guys were talking about the uh, self-driving cars and how he was talking about the different industries and jobs it could affect. Right. You know, Tony and I were sitting here talking, and we figured you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect the country music industry, too. Why is that? Well, because not only are they going to be able to write songs now about Oh, no. your, your your girl or your wife leaving you, and she takes the truck and she does this. But now they can write songs about how my truck left me all by itself. <laughs> oh, God. You know, and in actuality, it's going to be a change in culture. You know, my Chevy truck ran away with my wife. You know, can you see it? Um, it's just going to be so totally different. And I don't think we, and all kidding around the side, I don't think people realize the impact of self-driving cars and what it's and what it's going to do. No, and, and he was talking about uh, you know ha- having a fleet of these cars out there, like almost like a taxi service and stuff. And think about that for a minute. Right. You and I can hop in the car whenever we want and go where we need to when we need to. We're going to have to wait for a car to show up. Well, and then now the other thing I had heard was, in theory, the conversation. Some of the conversations are in certain cities, there will be stacks of self-driving cars. So you might hire a car to take you from New Jersey to downtown New York to a next, it's a relay point. Then you transfer from that car to that car and, you know, eventually you make it to the car that you want to get to. You're gonna, you might have to travel in three or four cars to get to Brooklyn from New Jersey. But, uh, you know, Tom, it's the future and we're going to have to embrace it. Ask New York City how good the bike program works. Well, that's, you know. Um, but it's coming. No matter what we do, it's coming. And I'll tell you this much. I'm running Annie and the Car Doctor, and I'll be here to report on it each and every step of the way. Until next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.